father's tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Hello, everybody. This is Coach Kepper Furtado. Welcome back to the Championship Vision Podcast. Today is episode 125. Today, we have Coach Jill Nagel. She's the head girls basketball coach at Rock Ridge High School in Columbia, Missouri. Her overall head coaching record is 336 and 91 over 15 years. She started at the school in 2005. She has been the Missouri Class 5 state champions 2008, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. The first Class 5 girls or boys team to four-peat and only fourth girls team ever to four-peat. Inducted into the Missouri Basketball Coaches Association Hall of Fame in 2019. Named the 2014 WBCA Russell Athletic District 5 High School Coach of the Year and was candidate for the National Coach of the Year. Class 5 Richard Fairchild Coach of the Year, Missouri Coach Basketball Coaches Association. In 2008, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, and this year in 2020. She has had 26 players have gone to play basketball, collegially 11 at the D1 level, and another 8 in other sports over the past 14 years. One player named McDonald's High School All-American. Three players have played or are playing professionally overseas. Two players named Missouri Gatorade Player of the Year. Four players have been invited to and attended the USA basketball team tryouts. Sixteen players nominated as McDonald's All-Americans. Fifty times players have been All-District. Twenty-two times her players have been named All-State. Seventeen of her players have been named All-Academic. In her fourteen seasons, excuse me, in her fourteen seasons as head coach, Nagel's brought in five state championships, including four in a row from 2011, 2012, and 2014 to 15. Coaches, I think you're going to really enjoy uh, Coach Nagel and her approach to building one of the best girls basketball programs in the state of Missouri. And really, to be honest with you, with her uh, program, it's been recognized nationally as one of the best programs in the country. So I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Welcome again to episode 125 with Coach Jill Nagel. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Coach. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Good, good, Jill. What's going on out there in Missouri? <laughs> well, just uh, self-quarantining and uh, trying to get some work done. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you, I know you're hey, you're probably just as busy now, probably, right? Uh, I know you got a lot going on out there. Uh, hey, thanks for stopping by and sharing with us. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate uh, the invite. Yeah, absolutely. And I try to get some of the best coaches uh, around in the country. I always enjoy talking to you guys, picking your brain a little bit. Matter of fact, uh, I think last week I spoke to uh, Coach Jay Blossom from out there in Missouri. 
Yep, he's one of the best. <laughs> but he told me you're one of the best, so I don't know. <laughs> hey, um, hey, tell us how you got started uh, as a kid growing up in basketball. I always think that uh, how how people get started in the game and and as a youth kind of kind of leads to what you're you're doing now as a coach. So tell us how you got started in the game. Yeah, well, I guess uh, it, I, all I've ever known was sports, <laughs> um, but didn't necessarily grow up in a, a sports-rich, necessarily, family. Uh, grew up on a farm, and so helped uh, my dad and granddad farm quite a bit. And uh, when we weren't farming, we had a, a basketball goal like about every, I think, young American kid does. And uh, we'd just go out and shoot hoops, and uh, that's all I can remember was I just enjoyed doing it. Um it was a gravel uh, slash concrete <laughs> that we had. Right. Um, it was broken up concrete. And so if the ball didn't bounce the right way, it, it uh, shot off a different way and it would go down into the, um, into the, the lot where cattle had been. And we, we know what cattle do. And, right. Uh, right. <laughs> so that <it> was, <laughs> then it would get into a mess. Um, so I always uh, encouraged myself to make as many shots as possible because if I did, it bounced just right back to me and I wouldn't have to go down into the messy lot. And, and the <laughs> I think right. that's why I was encouraged to make shots early. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I just enjoyed playing and, and played in high school. And then when, when I got done playing in college, I always thought I'd be able to hang it up and and go on to the real world, as they say. And, and I just couldn't do that. I just, mm. I, I, I missed it too much. And so got into, into coaching at that point. Yeah. And, uh, I tell you, just about, you know, reading up on you and researching you, uh, you do not work at the school. You are, you work at a, uh, a science laboratory. Is that correct? That's correct. The contract research laboratory uh, here in Columbia, Missouri. And uh, so I have multiple jobs, multiple hats, um, you know, 40 hour job outside of, of coaching basketball, but you know, the teachers have, they would say they have other, other jobs too. So I'm not trying to one up anybody. Right. Um, so I'm sure you have a pretty good insight into this virus and so forth. It's uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but um, man, I, I just can't watch CNN anymore, man. It's getting so depressing. I don't know about you. Yeah. I was just texting with my mom last night and she said the same thing, you know, I just don't want to watch news anymore. And, uh, you know, I said, well, you, you don't have to, <laughs> you can't, can't turn it off. Uh, but of course you want to stay up to date with, with kind of what's going on as well. But, uh, you know, hopefully I, I saw a report today where Dr. Fauci said there's maybe some signs that social distancing is, is starting to work. Uh, you know, I think he hates to say that because he doesn't want people to, to head the other way, right. but you know, hopefully we are trending in the right direction. Yeah, we just got to be, as a nation, we got to be really considerate of others and so forth. We really, I'm not sure if it's being done as much as it needs to be, but we'll see. Coach, um, it's funny you mentioned about, you know, living on a farm and playing outside. I just don't think kids these days play outside a lot. I know it sounds kind of crazy. They need a gym. They need a coach with them. Is that a major problem with, with your players that they – they have a hard time just shooting on their own. Yeah, you know, I think uh, that might be one thing that uh, this pandemic changes, though, because I think there's a lot more kids that are playing outside now. <laughs> right. Um, because, you know, that's their only option. They can't get in the gym. 
Uh, and so they are outside. So, you know, it might be one of those blessing in disguises that we see uh, that comes from, from this. But, yeah, they're always, you know, wanting to get in the gym, which is, is great. Um, but I tell them, you know, you don't have to have a basket uh, to get better. You know, the, a basketball and, uh, you know, e- even in being inside just in your own house, go down to your, your basement, whatever, outside. Uh, just work on ball handling, you know, or lay down on your back and practice shooting, uh, you know, working on your form. So there's so many things you can do without a basket. Yeah, you're so correct about that. I mean, how many great players learned in their garage, you yep. know, just working on the handles? You can I mean, there's there's a there's a, a big list of those types of pe- uh, players. Coach, you've had great coaches there in Missouri. Jay Blossom. Uh, I think his name is Dan Rolfs, Claude Sampson. You're number third on the list, so congratulations on state championships. Uh, which coaches had a which coaches had a big impact on you, and can you consider their uh, the, the, your mentors? Yeah, well, the first one that I'll mention is uh, someone that uh, maybe a lot of people haven't heard of, you know, nationally, but definitely here in the state is Mike Han, and that was my my high school coach, and uh, he has uh, since retired from Centralia High School, that's pretty close here to Columbia now, so. Um, later in life, we, we got closer again, uh, when his travels took him closer to Columbia, but, uh, you know, I think for a lot of people, their high school coach was uh, a good mentor for them. At least I I hope that's the case, you know, for a lot of people. Um, so definitely just, uh, you know, taught me X's and O's, but more than anything taught me to love the game, um, and encouraged me. Uh, you know, I, I walked into practice one day, I remember, and I said, Coach Han, by the time I'm a senior, I'm going to be able to, to touch the rim. And, you know, that, that's crazy because, like, you could barely fit a sheet of paper underneath my vertical jump, you know. And <laughs> right. so he, he could have just laughed at me and he was like, all right, let's, you know, do it. And, you know, somebody, it takes somebody like that to, to believe in you. Uh, and, and I had that at a, at a young age. I would say... You know, now uh, when I got into high school coaching, especially in Missouri, I really looked up to, to Julie Matheny, who is the head coach at St. Joseph's Academy in St. Louis um, right now, uh, a Hall of Fame coach here in Missouri. Uh, and then Stephanie Phillips uh, was at Kickapoo High School. Kickapoo has a very rich tradition uh, for girls basketball. Uh, she unfortunately passed away in 2010 um, from cancer. Uh, right. at, at much too young of an age, but uh, she was a, a mentor for me. Those were the two programs that I really looked at that when I started at Rockbridge, I kind of uh, tried to emulate uh, a little bit for, for what we wanted to do at Rockbridge. Yeah. And do coaches do enough of, of really going out and seeking really good coaches and really picking their brain. I'm not sure if that's done enough. What do you think coach? I mean, I know you do, but I think that's really important for go out and hey, find yourself a great mentor that you can really rely on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, everything is stolen from somebody. I mean, very few things are, are brand new, <laughs> you know, anymore. Um, even if they are, they're probably a version of something that we, we've seen before. And uh, it's okay <laughs> to steal things. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, we used to run the offense that UConn uh, would run. And did it look anything like UConn? No. <laughs> you know, there's a there's different players, but uh, concepts, you know, are the are are similar and the same. And so, you know, I think it's all about, uh, you know, it is about stealing ideas and, and I tell other people steal all you want from us, you know, and tweak it, 
you know, that's what we've done is uh, tweak it to fit your system and, and fit your players. And you even have to do that over the course of time, even if you're at the same school and same program, you know, some of the things we do 15 do now, we did maybe 15 years ago, but we've tweaked it <laughs> to make it fit our current players. So that's what I did when I first came to Columbia. I, when I got out of college coaching, I took what I called a coaching sabbatical. And for a year, I just went around and I talked to a bunch of high school coaches and college coaches, had a binder full of notes that I took and, and just met, uh, you know, successful coaches and picked their brains. And uh, that was really, really helpful. Yeah. And, and coach, would you agree, Jill, that you have to, you can steal, but, but you got to put it in your words, right? You got to do what you feel that, that you feel is best for you because it's your program. And one thing that you mentioned, I really like it. Uh, one of your quotes is always put your best foot forward. I love that quote. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, you do. You have to make it fit because um, as I tell, I kind of rope this into our middle schools um, that feed into Rockbridge. You know, I don't tell those coaches uh, what offense, what defense to run. You know, if they ask me suggestions and stuff, definitely we'll talk. Um, but for us, it's more about teaching the fundamentals and making sure that those kids are ready fundamentally when, when they get to us. I always say coaches have got to feel comfortable in their own skin. You know, if somebody came in and told me an offense that I had to run that I wasn't used to, I, I would have a hard time teaching it because I don't feel comfortable with it myself. And so I think you have to morph um, and, and make things work for yourself and make things work for your players. Yeah, that's a great point. You mentioned the feeder. I I, I coach at a um, charter school and I teach all the kids from K on up. So I have access to all the, but um do you feel like it's important, though, to have the same language? They might not run the same offense. What's similar to your varsity programs that the middle school programs do? Yeah, and that's where we uh, really talk about the fundamentals a lot. And so that is what I will talk to the coaches about. Now, they're pretty much doing the same thing anyway, but we, we try and make sure that we're on the same page uh, <clears throat> with, with the fundamentals, ball handling and shooting, and terminology, like you say as well. Uh, that's a lot of times when I go to, to clinics, uh, it sounds crazy, but I always say if I can pick up one thing, then it's been, been worthwhile. Sometimes that's a drill, but sometimes it's just terminology. You know, the way somebody uh, phrases something, it's so important. I think with the kids these days, because of Twitter and Instagram, if you don't get your message across in 140 characters, you know, they start to For turn sure. you off. And so I think it's very important uh, to find those little phrases um, and terminology that works for your kids, works for your program, um, so that you can say them quick and they know immediately what you're talking about. Yeah, and that's how you, you have to teach like that on the floor, Coach, right? You can't be, you can't be given a whole paragraph to explaining something, correct? And you got to be quick and to the point, right? Exactly, definitely. Uh, and one of your quotes you also mentioned is you want your players to be better versions of themselves, particularly as they graduate. Right. So you, uh, what do you mean by that as well? Yeah. And especially I think with, with high school girls, um, uh, you know, a lot of it is, is the mental aspect as well and feeling good about yourself um, and, and respecting yourself and what you do. And so you know, it's, it sounds cliche to be a better version of yourself, but it's so true. And it took me a while to learn that, especially basketball wise. You know, I was probably a junior in college before I really understood, you know, what that meant and how important it was. 
and that each day I just need to get a little bit better and just, you know, worry about myself. Obviously, when you're on a team, you know, you're part of bigger, something bigger than yourself. But if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not helping your team. And so it, it took a little while for me to, to learn that. And so I'm hopefully, you know, our kids are learning that um, definitely from their freshman year on. Uh, you know, take care of yourself first, do what you need to do. We say, do your J-O-B, <laughs> you know, do your job. Right. And if you're doing that, the team's going to take care of themselves. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I really want to get into your top five strengths. I, I First of all, I appreciate you sharing that with us because I want to find out what the best do so I can improve as a coach and I can share it with other coaches. Your um, One of your top five strengths is preparation. And I love what you said. You want to, if the other coach wasn't there, you would run their system pretty much. I love that. So preparation is important over there, right, at Rockbridge? Definitely. Yeah, we spend, um, you know, some people would say maybe too much time. I don't know, but it, it works for us <laughs> um, in terms of we want to make sure we are prepared first. Um, but we want to be prepared for our opponent. And so uh, we have a, a somewhat detailed scouting report that we go through, um, you know, the same same thing before, you know, each game in terms of we're going to, break down film on the other team and we're going to show our kids that film and, and their tendencies uh, and even down to the player tendencies. Um, and we may play a, a player different, you know, on a team player A versus player B, we may play them differently. We're, we're pretty player specific and uh, it's, it feeds a little bit more to the college uh, side of things. And so kids, I think once they leave our program are prepared and ready uh, when they get to college because it's, it's player specific uh, as well as team specific on, on how we're preparing for others. But at the, at the end of the day though, you got to make sure that you are prepared and that you are doing uh, what you do better than anybody else. Coaching. And uh, I totally believe in that. When does it cross the line though? I know at times I've over prepared my team where I actually focus more on the opponent. Sometimes there is a fine line, isn't there? I mean, I, I think we, uh, there's a lot of coaches that I know that don't prepare for opponents. Um, they just get themselves better. What, what's, give me an, give me an example of that. Yeah. And I, that's a fault of mine. And I know that. And I think that's important for coaches to know your strengths. I think it's important for you to know your weaknesses or, you know, the, the areas that you're working to improve upon. We, we try not to say weaknesses. We just say that they're areas we're improving, improving upon, but that's one of mine as a coach is I, I tend to sometimes start to over-prepare the kids. Uh, for me, I, I know the looks in their eyes <laughs> when it starts to happen. And so I start to back off, but I also tell my assistants, I say, this is, this is one of my faults um, is that I can over-prepare too much um, and you have to step in and you have to stop me, you know, when that starts to happen. And I have great assistant coaches that do that. And I said, you know, you don't, you're not stepping on my toes. <laughs> I don't have too much pride. Uh, you, this is what's best for the team. You know, we ask the kids to do what's best for the team. Um, so as coaches, we have to do the same thing. So a lot of times it's my assistants that'll be like, you know, that's enough. Uh, I think we they've got it. If we if we give them any more, <laughs> the heads are going to start to spin. Um, and so I really rely on my assistants a lot for that. Yeah. And what do you what's kind of your goals for scouting reports on that? I mean, I, I try to give, um, like you said, player tendencies. One, one of our number one goals is our I try to prepare my team to take out the point guard. We 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 feel like that's the heart and soul of our opponent. So 
we're always focusing on either uh, complete denial or trapping the point guard. Um, <clears throat> what do you guys do for your preparation as far as player tendencies? Yeah, and uh, it, ours isn't necessarily always um, focused, as, as you gave a good example there, it was maybe taking out the point guard, but obviously taking out uh, their strengths. Um, definitely, you know, if they've got a player that, uh, you know, a big one for us, you see it in the high school game, I think <laughs> way too much is uh, a, a kid that can only dribble with one hand. Now, obviously, they can't right. maybe with an offhand, but it's not very good. <laughs> and uh, so that might be one of ours is forcing, um, you know, an opposite direction that they're not not comfortable going with. Um, I, I will say this year we started to get away from that a little bit. and We became a lot more just for sideline and baseline. It becomes a lot easier for the kids. Um, and, but for us, it's not always necessarily taking out the, the leading scorer. Uh, there's times where... I have found, <laughs> at least for us, that it's better to take away the supporting cast or maybe it's easier to take away the supporting mm. cast than it is to take away right. the star player. So uh, there's been a game before, uh, I remember back in 2007, where that's what we did. The kid ended up with 40 points, um, but we won <laughs> because we took away the okay. supporting cast. So basically no one else scored um, because we really felt like that's what, made that team work was was when they had other people you know being able to to provide support for that leading score but the leading score couldn't do it on her own yeah that's a great point that's, i tell you i love that that's taking a risk i mean you allow her so you held her to 40 <laughs> exactly we held her to 40 <laughs> but you won <laughs> <But> we won <laughs> <laughs> you won that's the bottom line exactly i love that hey you mentioned about communication as um your number, well, I wouldn't say it's your number two strength, but it's one of your strengths. We're always trying to work on communication on and off the court. Give us kind of an example of how you guys fight for communication in your program. Well, number one is uh, we try to every year, uh, three times a year, we have individual meetings between uh, the player and, and the coach or coaches. I try and only make it a couple of coaches. Uh, you know, if it's our freshman, somebody that's on the freshman team, it's the freshman coach and maybe one of their assistants for varsity it's myself and, and my assistant coach because I don't want the player to feel like that they've got the whole coaching staff you know looking at them but it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting that we do face to face uh, we will do it at the end of summer um, so after we've had our summer camps and our, our workouts during the summer uh, the next time is usually during the Christmas break and then the other one is, is right now at the end of the season and uh, we we really value those meetings. Um, it's 15, 20 minutes. It's more if it needs to be. Um, but it's just between the, the player and the coach. They're asked to come in uh, with, you know, two to three strength areas that, that they feel that they have had, uh, two to three areas that they want to work to improve upon. And then uh, any questions or if there's an issue uh, that, they, that they have that they want to just have our ear about, it's their time one-on-one -on -one to, to talk to us. So, you really get to know your kids. It's amazing. Um, I, I just love those meetings. Uh, the kids are so genuine. Uh, they really want the best uh, for the team. And so I, you know, I've never had anybody really sabotage those meetings and, and come in with, you know, Susie Smith is a problem, <laughs> you know, or anything like that. It's uh, this is right. what we can do to, to make our team chemistry better. 
Um, we give them the opportunity to give us suggestions. You know, how can we make practices better? How can we make game prep better? Um, so there's times where they tell us where maybe they don't like certain things and, and that's good. Uh, we need to hear that as coaches. We need to be uh, receptive uh, to what the kids are saying. Doesn't mean we've always changed things, um, but we have changed things <laughs> based upon what those kids say in those meetings. Uh, those meetings will probably take a new view. Uh, this time I'm getting ready to set up some Zoom meetings with kids because we're not going to be able to do them face-to-face. Uh, -face. It doesn't look like right now. So uh, we'll, we'll right. kind of do them virtually, <laughs> I guess, face-to-face. -face. Um, but I think those meetings really set the tone for the rest of our communication. And that's why I mentioned them first. Um, within practices, uh, definitely there's a level of respect there, but the players know that going back to like game prep, um, you know, as, as a coach, you go over with your assistant coaches one way, maybe you want to play, for example, a baseline out of bounds play. But when you put it in and you show the kids, okay, this is their baseline, one of their baseline out of bounds plays, this is where we're going to play it. Well, it maybe doesn't look quite right, <laughs> you know, and, and you say, okay, well, we could also do it this way. And then there's times where I'll just ask the kids, what do you feel most comfortable with? You're the ones that have to execute it. And uh, so they'll tell me, and they're usually in unison with what they think. And I'm like, well, that's how we're going to do it then. Um, you know, even in timeouts before, you know, we, we switch between uh, lots of different defenses and it gets towards the end of the game. And I know I've, I've said to the kids before, what do you think? Do you want to do, you know, one or two defense, you know, depending upon what it might be, what do you feel most comfortable with? And again, pretty much in unison, they, they will say the same thing. And I'm like, then that's what we're doing because you guys are the ones that have to execute it. So um, I think there's a high level of trust uh, between our players and our coaches, a high level of respect. And, and that comes from having that good communication on and off the floor. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, you know, getting player feedback, I think is important, right? So it sounds like to me, you have a player led team rather than a coach led team, even though you are the facilitator for it. Yes. Yep. Definitely. Coach, tell me about uh, those meetings. Uh, I know a lot of coaches that actually invite the parents into that meeting. I don't do that. Is that something you ever looked at? No. Um, now we've had some freshmen before that have brought their parents because they didn't didn't know uh, any different, and that's fine, you know, especially uh, at right. early age there. But um, no, we do ask that it's just the player. Uh, we ask that they write it down on paper. Uh, when I talked about the the strengths and the areas to work to improve upon. I think that is so important, putting a pen or pencil to paper. It's, it's a lost art right now. Um, if they come in with and they have it typed up on their notes section of their phone, they know I get frustrated <laughs> because right, it sure. needs to be written down on paper. And a lot of that is because then I'll tell them, all right, you need to tape this to your mirror or somewhere in your room where you see sure. it every day because uh, this is what you need to be working on. And if you see it every day, you're more apt to, to do mm -hmm. it. Um, but we do keep those meetings just with the players. Now, certainly we have communication with parents. If there's something that they, you know, want to talk about, obviously we're going to be open to talking to them, uh, you know, during the season. Uh, you know, if there's, we always say we're not going to talk to the parents about playing time. Um, you know, if there's a concern, obviously we want to work with them. Uh, but we want their daughter to be the one that has that first communication with us. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think. Um... It sounds like to me you, uh, you you do have an open door policy. And on that same on that same area, 
how do you communicate with parents? Because I know every coach struggles with that. And some coaches just have a knack for it. What's your, what's your, what's your strength with that? Yeah. Like I said, we, we always say, you know, we're not going to talk to parents about playing time. Uh, We want to talk to the, to the player first. Um, But definitely I've, I've spoken with parents before and, and I think it's important that, that people and parents are people uh, that they be heard. Um, And we're, (laughs) we're all the same way. And sometimes it's just about um, saying it and getting it off your chest and sometimes I found that that's the best thing to do is in talking with a parent is just to let them talk uh, for a little bit. Um, you know, you go into some of those meetings sometimes and you think, oh, this, is, this may not be good. Um, and by the end of it, by just right. allowing the parent to talk, uh, they start to, to talk and they start to realize some of the same things that you've been saying. They're starting to realize it as they as they talk through it. <laughs> and, you know, Bottom line, we want what's best for their daughter. And uh, once they fully understand and realize that, I think you can come to common ground. And uh, again, I think it's important for that parents be heard. It doesn't mean every single time. Um, I, I think you have to know the, the right place. Um, but again, I think it, it goes back to communication. And if you're communicating well with the, with the kids, and they uh, never feel like there's an unknown or they don't know their role. If they always feel like they know what their role is uh, and they feel supported and they feel appreciated, very rarely do you have a parent that has an issue um, because their daughter feels good. And if their daughter feels good, they're going to feel good too. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Coach. And um, tell me about uh, how do you do your captains? We have what we call a leadership team where I have, like this year, I'll have three uh, girls on the leadership team. We give them a lot of responsibility on communicating with the players. So we're trying to teach them how to be leaders. What do you do with captains? And do you have one captain or do you have like a committee of, of leaders? Yeah, that's a great topic. Uh, this is one that I'm still trying to figure out after uh, 20 plus years in coaching. I'm still trying to figure out the best <laughs> way to do it. Um, We've done it multiple sure. ways. Uh, we used to do where it was just uh, a team vote, and we would have two uh, captains, and the team voted on it. Um, probably about five years ago or so, we decided uh, we wanted to make it more of a coach uh, decision, and uh, so we and and all this is based upon team dynamics too, not just a oh we woke up one day and we decided we were going to change it. There was the reasons behind it. Um, but we decided to do a, a coach's decision. Uh, and then this past year, we decided not to have captains. Uh, I did a lot of talking with some high school and college coaches over the summer last year, picked their brains, uh, going back to what we we're talking about at the very beginning of this, uh, and asked different coaches what they do. And, and uh, a couple of them said that they didn't have captains, uh, that they had you know, more of kind of the, the senior leaders, um, so we didn't have captains this year. Uh, when it came to the captain's meeting, um, usually I let my. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. 
it is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. Assistant coach pick, uh, you know, two two people to, to go with me. Every state's different, but we have to have uh, at least one captain and the head coach at the, the coaches' meeting. And um, so we didn't go with captains. And uh, it worked great. Um for, for this team, again, I think it depends upon the dynamic of the team. Um, I don't know if we'll go that way next year. Um, we have we tried probably well, four or five years ago to do what you were talking about with the leadership team. Um, I had one of my assistant coaches kind of lead that. I felt it was important for them to have a little bit more of a voice with the, with the team. Um, so I had a, an assistant coach lead that leadership we didn't get it off the ground uh, as well as we should have. Um, I would like to get back to that a little bit more. That's one of the things that's a little tough for me, not being a teacher at the school. Um, I'm a little bit limited in right. my time there, and that's what kind of caused that to probably not get off the ground like it it, it should have and could have. But uh, I guess the that's a really long story <laughs> for a short answer of I'm still working to figure out what is best. Uh, but I do think it depends. I think it can change depending upon your team dynamics. I don't know that there's a one size fits all. I, I totally agree. I, I don't think there's any one, one perfect way for that. And, and don't you think that leaders, leaders will always come. You don't even have to have captains. Leaders will always show up at the right, right. time. And right? that's kind of what we were going for uh, this year. Um, also, I had felt like in past years, I put too much, for lack of a better word, pressure on our captains. Um, and that, you know, it was known that they were the somewhat of a go-between between, between the, the player, the rest of the team and, and the coaches. Now anybody can always come to the coach, of course, and, and have a conversation with me. But if the player didn't feel comfortable doing that, then, you know, go to the captain. And if the captain feels like it's important, uh, you know, they can come talk to the coaches or they can nip it in the bud. Um, but I think that maybe that was a little bit too much pressure, um, at times for captains and maybe that is person specific as well, not necessarily a general captain, um, you know, issue, but, um, I didn't want to do that to kids, you know, that they need to be worried about playing and schoolwork and, you know, preparing for a game, not having to worry about, oh, Susie came to me and was upset about this and now I've got to take care of it and coach doesn't think I'm taking care of it. You know, I realized maybe I'm putting a little bit too much pressure on captains here. Yeah, that's great insight. I appreciate your transparency and sharing us that. I um, I don't think there's any one way, one easy way for that. Let's move on to strength three, and that is accountability. Um, that's important in a program, correct? I mean, but you, don't you agree you have to be really consistent with accountability for your players? Yeah, and coaches? Uh, definitely. Uh, it kind of goes back to where I was talking about, you know, do your J-O-B, <laughs> do your job. Um, and, you know, we want the kids to feel empowered to, to say to their teammate next to them, you know, in, the, in a respectful way, hey, you're not pulling your weight today. <laughs> you know, you can do better. We need to do better. Um, our, our team needs this, and so let's make sure that we're doing it. So, you know, we want the kids, as again, as a, kind of being a, a player-led type team um, to be accountable to each other. But as we tell the kids, it goes back to if you're doing your J-O-B, you don't have to worry about taking care of, of your next teammate next to you, you know, because if everybody's doing what they need to do, 
uh, you don't have to worry about the person next to you. And so uh, that's why we really stress the, you know, the part about uh, being a better version of yourself, um, doing your J-O-B, because if you do, everything else just falls nicely into place. Yeah. And is there anything you do to um, assess that and make sure your players are accountable or do you have your, your players kind of manage that with well, themselves? You always want the players to try and manage it, uh, you know, as much as possible. I think it's important that you um, have players that are what I call winning the locker room for you. Uh, as a coach, you're only around the kids uh, a small percentage of the time when you really think about it. You know, uh, you might think that you have a huge influence, <laughs> but when you really take a step back, you're really only with the kids a small percentage of the time. And so you need to evaluate all the different sources uh, that they are getting their information from. Uh, and that's other team members, it's parents, it's friends, it's community. Uh, so I think it's important uh, that you try and as much as you can make sure that their source of information is, is hearing the same thing. And that's why I think it's important that you have kids that are winning the locker room for you. Uh, and, you know, hopefully that's upperclassmen and the, the underclassmen are, are being modeled what it looks like. So when they get to be juniors and seniors, they're doing the same thing. Um, but I think that all ties into a, to accountability. Yeah, that's a great point, Coach. And, and before we go on to your uh, number four strength, uh, I want to talk about Let's talk some basketball here. And um, if you guys have won a lot of state championships, so obviously your offense and defensive philosophy is sound. Can you share with us what's your offense and defensive philosophy at Rockbridge? Yeah, well, I'll start with defense because uh, we always feel like it starts with the defense. Uh, we play multiple different defenses. Uh, I guess we've really kind of become known um, for our, our three-quarter court, one-three-one. Uh, uh, trap, but we morph that and make it look um, different. We can morph it into more of a full court and more into a half court, depending upon uh, how teams try to attack it. Um, so that's kind of uh, become our, our bread and butter. Uh, we are traditionally more of a man-to-man um, -man, uh, defense in the half court, but um, you know, it, sometimes it pains me to say that zone has won us some games. <laughs> um, so We'll switch up the sure. zone, uh, you know, at different times as well. Uh, sometimes switching, switching uh, every pick. Uh, again, it, it depends on your personnel. Uh, this year we have, we were blessed with a couple of, of pretty good centers that we would sometimes play together, but most uh, most of the time that we would switch them in and out. And so, uh, and we had guards that were very inter interchangeable. So this year we would switch everything um, except with our big. Uh, and so, um, that worked well for us. Um, we've also tried to trap every on-ball pick before um, and done that a few times. So, again, it kind of goes back to personnel and what we feel works best for our personnel. Um, so we, our defense can take a, dot, a lot of different looks. Um, offensively, again, depends a little bit upon um, personnel. We have gone to much more of a, a four-out, one-in type look. Um, early in, in my career at Rockbridge, we were blessed with a lot of height, and we were a, a more traditional three-out, two-in um, type. But we started to go on a little bit more of the Princeton-type offense. Uh, we had some really good three-point shooters uh, this year, and so we really tried to find as many ways as possible um, to get those kids open. Uh, we had a nice 6'4 kid on the inside, and um, so when – 
you know, she did a good job of uh, when she was doubled, kicking it out to our shooters. Um, so that worked well, but uh, really kind of have to, especially at the high school level, I think um, you have to morph it to your team. I think at the college level, you can recruit um, to your philosophy a lot more than, than what you can at the high school level. Yeah, I love that. I, I'm just thinking uh, we have, we run a four hour, we want, we run a lot of different things. I probably run too much stuff, coach, to be honest with you, but um, we're four out. And then when my, I have a big center about six, one, when she comes out, we go five out. We run a lot of dribble drive, pass and cut. Um, but um, your Princeton, is it more, is it more pass and cut or, screening action or is it any type of dribble drive action what yeah, do you all focus on dribble drive it's more passing cut um and we like to play off our big um as much as possible she's a nice six four um sophomore center that we have and so uh you know we try and play off that center as much as possible just because we want to move the ball from side to side uh as much as possible uh and really be hard to guard um you know i think it's that's i guess goes back to defensively you know what are we trying to do well we're trying to keep the ball on one side of the floor all the time so you know you i think you're always coaching against what you do defensively <laughs> and we, we want to make sure the ball's not right on one side of the floor so uh we're a little bit more of the pass uh and cut than we would do dribble drive um but obviously, again, we're going to morph it to what works for our kids. Uh, and then we run a lot of set plays um, off of our Princeton. Yeah, absolutely. And do you run your post at the high post or low post? post uh, and then uh, I, we give them the option, you know, if it goes down to the corner to definitely drop down there uh, for a post entry for a score or for a, for a kick out. But we generally start them at the high post. Right, right. Give me a sample of you pass the ball to the high post. Do you run you first of all, do you start out four high or, or your are your your forwards a little lower? Give me yeah, give me a little sample start, of that. We want to be above the, the free throw line or no lower, I guess I should say, than free throw line uh, with everybody. Now, teams that tend to switch, um, we have found that it's better to uh, move move them down to more of a, a baseline type area. Uh, keep your guards a little bit higher and really be as spread as possible. Um, because if they're going to switch, obviously there's going to be times where you're going to slip that. Um, and the wider you are, we found out that that's the, the easier way. It's, it's harder to guard, you know, the wider you are, especially for those teams that are going to switch. Right. Do you see mostly man or I, I'm sure you guys are, you're pretty dang good. You sleep mostly zone or, or man to man in, in your well, uh, conference? I think we see a good healthy mix. Uh, probably more man uh, than we do zone. Uh, definitely this year. Um, but we, we see, I think, a good amount of both. But definitely more on the man side. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really want you to share that your offense, uh, your your offense with me on that because we're. Um, we're, we're usually a dribble drive team, but I'm, I'm, I don't have four girls that can all dribble drive. So it's kind of, it's kind of limited in a way, but uh, I have two girls that are really good. So maybe they do pass cut. Maybe the other girls can dribble drive. You, yeah, you got to be selective, right? Uh, you know, and what, what works for one isn't going to work for the other. And obviously players need to play to their strength. 
Yeah, so true. Coach, go to your uh, your four strength, and that is um, competing. And I think at the girls' level, this is probably it's probably the hardest thing to teach. Uh, you yeah, agree? It's definitely towards the top, <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> this goes back, and we stressed this a lot this year. Um, I know the kids probably got tired of me saying it, but um, you know, there's times we're in a, in a, a timeout. I would say just compete. Uh, and a lot of times what that meant, you know, going back to, to small phrases and our kids knew that that really also meant do your job, <laughs> do your job, um, because if you're doing that, you're, you're competing. Um, but uh, a lot of it, too, is being mentally engaged. Uh, I've always said when you get done with a game, you shouldn't just be physically tired. You should be mentally tired because you should be that engaged uh, into the game. And so trying to teach the basketball IQ, uh, I think as well. Um, and that it all has to start in practice. Um, we talk about competing with every drill. And so with every drill, uh, we make it a, a goal and it's either a time or maybe a number of shots. Um, we're still trying to right. get even better at that because I know there's times where sometimes uh, maybe we don't, but even in our offensive breakdown, you know, whether it's like playing baseball or hockey or something like that with, with some of the games, um, you know, in our offensive breakdown. But I think things need to be tied to a goal because when you play a game, there is a goal. And that goal is, is ultimately to score more points <laughs> than the other team does. And so if you want that to happen in a game, I think you have to develop that in, in practice as well. And so how do you do that? Well, you, you break it down into small goals and you compete. And, you know, sometimes you're competing against the scoreboard. Sometimes you're competing against the clock. Uh, sometimes it's both. Um, but it's developing that competition uh, in every drill that you're doing. So it's, uh, it's innately, innately teached. Do you start your – five best competitors or is it kind of, I mean, we all would like to do that, but sometimes we can't. Um, so do you look for the, your five best competitors to, to, uh, to start? Not necessarily the five that work best together um, is how I would sure. describe it, describe it best. And again, give me, give me a sample. Uh, give me a drill that you guys do that you really keep, because uh, I, I totally believe in keeping time and score and competing in all drills. Give us a sample of what you guys do in your program, one of your practices. Give us one of your best drills. Oh, boy. Um, one that we really like is we call it uh, weave layups. I stole it from uh, Shimmy Gray Miller, who's now at, at Clemson. She was at um, uh, SLU uh, whenever I stole it from her. Um, but now she's an assistant at, at Clemson. And uh, so we put one minute on the clock. It works best if you have at least nine players. Uh, you start them at half court, and they just quite simply do a three-man weave with, with two passes. And so on the second pass, uh, it's a layup. Uh, they then have to rotate correctly. Uh, you have the, the one person that's getting the rebound, and it goes to the outlet. Um, and then you go to a new line whenever you go back. It sounds pretty simple, but you have one minute to make 15 consecutive layups. And... So you have time and a goal on it and you'd be amazed how many times when you get to 14, um, that 15th one just seems so much harder <laughs> than the first one that they just made. Um, and so again, you're working on time, you're working on a, a number, a consecutive make. So it uh, has a physical aspect to it. It definitely has a mental aspect to it. It has a, a team chemistry aspect. 
because uh, when you miss, you can miss with uh, with 40 to 45 seconds left and, and still make it, still make your goal. Uh, we have determined anything under that, you're, you're pretty much shot. <laughs> um, but you start to see who your leaders are um, because you get kids that are getting frustrated, right. uh, that start to, you know, want to yell and get mad. You'll see other kids that start to step up and say, hey, it's all right, let's go, let's make this happen, you know, and um, so I, I love that drill for the many different aspects that it has um, and probably more for the mental aspect than the physical aspect. Yeah. Do you find coach, cause we do a lot of drills like that. You really find out the kids that want the shot at the end and you really find out which kids will, they, they stay away yeah, from the definitely. ball at the end. You know, there's, there's the kids that are like, Oh, I have the last one, <laughs> you know? And there's other kids that are like, the ball. exactly. You know, I, I right. So yeah, you definitely see those things as well. Yeah. And you, and, and it sounds like to me that you that leadership part. And that is, I think a lot of kids think they're leading by yelling at people, but I think leadership is yes, encouraging. Uh, definitely. Uh, no, there's something to be said for, uh, you know, the accountability aspect, but it has to come from a player that um, is predominantly, always doing what they're asking someone else to do. Uh, you know, Sophie Cunningham, who plays for the Phoenix Mercury now, we were fortunate to have her in our program. And uh, she was a, a great leader and, and she was accountable and, and she could get on to some players at times. Um, and nobody uh, was frustrated when she did that because they knew that she was doing it. <laughs> you know, she never asked anyone to do anything that she wasn't already doing herself. And uh, when you have players like that in your program that are, are giving everything they have uh, and holding others accountable, uh, that makes it easy for those players to, to kind of, uh, you know, get on to some others at times. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. You mentioned that I, uh, I have one girl that's a, she's a junior. She's going to be a senior. Um, she's got a lot of schools looking at her. Um, there are some times when, we feel like she needs to lead more and kind of get her teammates playing a little bit harder and so forth. Sometimes she takes a back seat. What do you recommend for that, that really excellent, outstanding player, how she can step up and help her teammates yeah, be more accountable? Uh, in those situations, a lot of times that'll come out in our one-on-one -on -one meetings. Uh, and I know that we've mentioned to kids before, you know, your next step, uh, and I know I've said this to kids before, your next step to being elite, is, is being a leader. And it's not necessarily, a lot of times the kids want to hear it's a, it's a skill. It's something fundamental uh, that they need to work on. And a lot of times you'd find that they would rather work on that. <laughs> They'd rather work on, you know, some type of new shot or, you know, a new move. Uh, it's hard for them sometimes to hear your next step is um, to be, uh, you know, the best leader you can be for your team. Um, because that's a little bit more of a foreign concept. Uh, for them. Um, but I think, uh, especially for those elite players, which it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about is that's really their next step uh, to being elite is being a leader. And a lot of times I think players find out when they're able to be a great leader, their game improves as well. Uh, even though they maybe haven't worked on that new shot or something uh, when they start feeling comfortable being a leader uh, of their team, uh, they start becoming a better player as well. Yeah, that's that's well said. I, I'm stealing that one from you, man. I, I love that. 
because uh, that's her biggest issue right now. Is no, right now she's working on her game at home. I mean, she's that driven to be the best. Now she has to get others around her to give their best. Yep. That's a challenge for her. Um, Coach, let's go on to number five, and that is uh, one of your taglines is winning tradition of excellence. Talk about your fifth strength. Yeah, when I took over at, at Rockbridge in, in 2005, um, I got together with uh, that team, and I told them that that was, was going to be our, our tagline. Um, that wasn't a player-driven thing. That was a coach-driven thing. So it was a little bit opposite of what we've been talking about. But um, I wanted them to know that I said from this day forward, you know, this program is known as a winning tradition of excellence. And they had the year before I got there, they had started to, to generate some success. But before that, uh, they had had some, but, but not a lot. Um, it had been, oh, I think when I got there, 23 years since they'd won a district championship. Um, and for in, in the state of Missouri, that's kind of, that's what's what starts everything. Uh, once you win districts, then that's kind of becomes the sweet 16 for us. But uh, that's the model as, as, you know, everybody's wanting to win a district championship. And so it had been about 23 years. And so I said, you know, from this day forward, it's a winning tradition of excellence. This is what we're going to do to, you know, to make sure that that happens. And I said, this is going to be hard, especially for you seniors, but you um, are the foundation and you may not get to reap the benefits of, of what you sow. And so you're going to have to be comfortable knowing um, that you're setting a foundation and that the people behind you are going to experience some success. And you may not to get to experience that same success because it may not come that fast, but know that you were the ones that started it. And within three years, we had won a, a state championship, uh, which was started with our first district championship in, in 26 years uh, for Rockbridge girls. And, and that propelled us on to winning a, a state championship. And um, I think it was important for those kids that were going to be seniors in 2005. One of them went on to be an assistant coach for me, um, for them to know to this day that they were the ones that, that laid that foundation of a, a winning tradition of excellence. And, and they're the ones that started it, whether they got the state championship ring or not. Um, they needed to know that, uh, that they felt like they were a part of it because they laid that foundation. Yeah, and I, I guess now <clears throat> you've already created a, a great legacy at the school. I guess your players can kind of sell that now, right? Rather than it's always you talking about it, now your players sell it, correct? Right, and that's always where you hope uh, that you get as a coach. Um, you know, sometimes uh, the vision that you see happens a little bit differently <laughs> than what you think it might be. But, you know, right. I, I also have a thing that I always say, and I – it came from a, a book by Jim Collins, Good to Great, um, and I morphed it a little bit, but great vision without great people is, are, is irrelevant. And so that tagline is, is great, um, but it's the people that make it happen. Uh, you, can, you can say that. Any coach can say that uh, tagline, but if you don't have great people, meaning great players, great coaches, uh, very supportive administration, uh, supportive parents in a community, if you don't have great people, uh, the vision is irrelevant. Yeah, and it sounds like to me you have you have molded some great players and coaches. So a lot of credits uh, due to you, Coach. Before you go, can you tell me? I always ask every coach, how do you run your practices at Rockridge? Yeah, that's is uh, something that's morphed a little bit too. Um, we, you know, they used to be a lot longer <laughs> than what they are now. 
after going to some clinics probably five, six years ago, um, you know, I was listening to some coaches and, and I know one of them said, you know, if I can't get across in, in two hours what needs to be done, then I'm not doing my job. And sure. I was like, you know, that's an interesting point. And so I really challenged myself um, and then challenged our assistant coaches to make sure that um, we get done within those two hours and, and day before game, it's even shorter than that, especially when you, you factor in the, the film uh, that we're doing. And obviously it morphs based upon what your team needs at that time of the year. Um, but I challenged myself uh, to make sure that we're doing what's important. Um, and, you know, what do the kids need uh, today? What's most important and putting our time into that. So I think there's, you know, some coaches are like, well, we're doing this until you get it right. Um, I've learned that, uh, you know, that's not necessarily what works. Some days it is, <laughs> um, right. but, but other days it's, uh, you know, what's most important for the kids uh, to prepare us, you know, for the next day or for the next game. Yeah. And, and are you very similar? Like, do you have like a daily plan of, okay, we're going to do come in, do our stretches, our, our, uh, fundamental drills, um, or do you change it up each day? No, we do follow a, a, a protocol per se is, uh, you know, we do a warm up drill. Uh, we'll do our, our dynamic stretching and then we go into a, a shooting drill uh, or I'm sorry, a, a ball handling drill followed by a shooting drill. Uh, we meet in the middle, make sure that uh, we're all on the same page with what our goals are for that day. Uh, and then we go into some uh, guard post breakdown We'll go into our offensive um, breakdown. Uh, we usually do um, some transition drills, uh, which uh, also transition us into our defense. Uh, and then we'll usually uh, wrap it up with um, either a rebounding drill and or uh, working on our, our blobs and slobs. I put a lot more emphasis on our blobs and slobs this year than any other, than any other time. Um, just because I, I felt it was important with this team. I started to see last summer that uh, they did really well with the execution of them. Uh, and I think we all know as coaches how much a big difference the execution in your blobs and slobs offensively and defensively can make. And so we made that a huge goal um, of ours this year is really focusing. And, and we were even looking on, on, you know, huddle and on our, our, our reports and what our percentage was, um, and, you know, and how well we executed those. Um, and then we usually finish up with a, a special situation. Sometimes I'll just have my assistant coach say, okay, how much time, what's the, you know, where's the ball, what's the score, Sometimes I'll have it pre-made up because there may be something that I want the kids to work on. Um, but we always try and finish with a, a special situation. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com. Hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, athletic director and girls basketball coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, what it brings and the platform that we're able to share knowledge and wisdom on and, and grow as coaches. This is Matthew Smith with United Basketball Clinics. I want to let you know about the 
fourth annual Hoosier Gym Coaches Clinic, the last weekend of August, August 28th and 29th. Right now, we've secured Chris Oliver of Basketball Immersion to to speak all Friday night. He's going to give three to four sessions on topics that will challenge us as coaches and leaders. I look forward to seeing you there. We will update you as soon as we secure other speakers for Saturday. Please follow at Coach M.W. Smith on Twitter, and our website is unitedbasketballclinics.com. Part of the game. Um, so you make it really game-like. You put them like, you know, three-possession game. How do you do that? Yeah, with the baseline out of bounds, uh, sometimes we'll play a game, um, you know, where each team has, uh, say, three uh, baseline out of bounds, and they, they get together, they decide it themselves. That's one thing that we do that uh, could be a little bit different. I do not, or my assistants do not, call in the out-of-bounds plays um, from the side. Um, I guess we maybe we do the slobs, but the blobs, the, the, the kids get together. Uh, as soon as the dead ball happens, they decide which one they're going to run, and they run it. Now, we do run everything out of the same set, um, which tries to make – what we're trying to do is obviously make it hard for scouting uh, when you run everything out of the same set. But uh, my philosophy on that is I don't really care which one they run. Now, there's there are times at the end of the game definitely where I'll tell them, you know, I want this play, um, and they will run it. But otherwise, I don't really care because as long as you're executing and running it uh, the way you should, it, it should work. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter you know, which one we're, we're running. Um, so I let the players uh, call their own on that. Um, but I guess going back to, to the practice uh, situation, again, sometimes we'll make it uh, like a blob scrimmage um, at times. And sometimes we're just working on uh, execution and, and cleaning some things up. Um, but one of our goals this year, and we have a retreat at the beginning of the year, and the kids are the ones that come up with their values and goals. Uh, one of our goals this year was to have a five-second count um, every game uh, on a defensive blob. And uh, so you would always hear us, you know, calling out, get a five, get a five, um, because we were really selling out um, to that. And um, we did, it didn't happen every game. Uh, I'd have to go back and look, but uh, at least three-fourths of the games, uh, we met that goal or exceeded that goal. Yeah, that's a great point. I think um... – uh, out of bounds, you mentioned Huddle and so forth. Um, Huddle does a great job of evaluating your execution on on sideline and, and baseline plays, right? They do. The only thing about that is sometimes it, they allow uh, your your execution percentage to extend for that whole entire play. So, right. You know, I, I would prefer it to be more than just in the first five, 10 seconds, but you could hold on to the ball for 30, 45 seconds. You could call timeout, <laughs> you know, in there and that play still continues. And so it can count for you or against you. Um, so I'm not as up on that. You know, I'd rather it be just the first five, 10 seconds. Cause that's really what we're looking for. Right. And, and how do you try to end your practice? Are, are you trying to end it on, you know, like, Hey, we're going to do some sprint work. We're going to have a fun game. How do you like ending practices there at Rockridge? Yeah, after we do the special situation, we usually end it with another shooting drill. Uh, this year we, we changed things, especially after uh, Christmas. Um, you know, together with my assistants, uh, we really kind of knew what we, we thought we needed uh, to get done in order to, to win a district championship and try and make a run at a, at a final four this year. Uh, and a lot of that including uh, just being better shooters. So we shot a lot more in practice this year than I have ever done in my previous 
14 years at, at Rockbridge and uh, it paid off for us this year. I don't know if that was the magic thing that did it. You know, it's always hard to know when you're, you've got so many different variables uh, sure. that can point to it. Of course, I'm going to say that that's what it was because uh, you want it to be that way. Um, but we try and end with some kind of a shooting drill. And again, it's usually got um, a goal tied to it. And sometimes it's a, a shooting competition, which is fun for the kids. Yeah, and I think that's important on that. I think as coaches, I think I, my, my personal belief is I want a happy team at the end because right. I think they, they come back better in better spirits, right? Yeah, definitely. I want to end on a good note. Maybe it wasn't a great practice, but uh, you definitely want to end on a good note. Right. You might be upset, but you want the players happy. Right. <laughs> uh, hey, tomorrow uh, I'm actually doing a webinar with um, a guy named Brad Helicost from the Huddle, and uh, we're talking about the value of stats. What are your give – me, give me a sample so I can tell Brad on the webinar, you know, this is what Jill Nagel runs. She, she believes in these goals. What goals do you look at from Huddle that you evaluate your program? Yeah. One of the biggest ones is points per possession. We had uh, a goal tied to that this year as well. Um, you know, I, I just hate turnovers. And I know probably every coach is like, well, of course, I hate turnovers too. No, I just – I adamantly despise them. <laughs> and uh, so, I, you know, at first I was – talking more about turnovers and I try and turn everything into a positive instead of a negative. Uh, so yeah. for example, of don't dribble to the corner, instead of saying that we're always saying center the ball um, because tell kids what to do, not what not to do. Um, sure. And so points per possession has become a great way. I think for us to kind of talk about turnovers without using the word turnovers. <laughs> um, right. And it allows us to talk a little bit more about good shooting. Um, and the kids don't really realize how much turnovers are factored into that points per possession when you say it that way. So uh, that's one of the big ones uh, that we look at. Um, of course, the slobs and blobs percentage. But again, like I said, if there's any way they could change it to where it's just like the first five to 10 seconds that it's evaluated, um, that would be, would be helpful. Um, I know one other thing that I would, I've been asking for Huddle to do, and, and they still have not done it yet, is for each game be able to present, uh, to print a, a box score of the game, um, where, like what you see when the colleges, uh, you know, printed out at, at um, quarter and halftime, where it's, uh, you know, name, and it, it gives their shooting percentages all the way across. There's there's not a way to do that um, to where it rolls up that way in a nice, concise format. Um, and so right. I would still love for that to, to happen. For each quarter? Uh, well, for right now, just for the game. <laughs> okay, um, okay. But, yeah, um, it definitely uh, for the game would be the, the first one. But okay. the shot charts are great, um, especially for the kids. Uh, we look a lot um, at those uh, for us, especially as a coach. You know, I'm looking at those so I know, uh, especially end of the game type situations, if I'm des devising, say, a, a three-point shot for somebody, well, I want to know where their hot spot is, where they feel comfortable. Uh, and so by, by being able to see those individual shot charts, um, you know, you, can, you know where those are and you can devise your play uh, to fit it. Yeah, and what what's great about stats is you can you can you just base it on what kind of system you have, right? And what what are you really trying to emphasize? Uh, uh, I do love what you said about the blob and the slob. I'll mention that to Brad. See if he can 
make some adjustments for you, right? Yeah, that, that would be <laughs> great. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm way into stats. Again, that can be another fault. Um, <laughs> you know, preparing <laughs> too much. Um, I, my non-basketball job, I'm in spreadsheets every single day. So uh, yeah, uh, paralysis by analysis can sometimes happen <laughs> uh, to me. But, you know, I, I live by the numbers uh, so much. I was just talking to my husband last night. We were looking at our, our season stats and uh, going back to turnovers. I think every year but one that we've had a positive assist to turnover ratio, we've won a state championship. And it's been that cut and dry. And, uh, you know, this year we, we had that again and uh, we made it to the final four and then the uh, coronavirus cut everything short. And, uh, you know, obviously that was a big disappointment and it surely was for us because when I look at the stats, there was a lot of things um, that were trending towards, you know, what I've seen in our other teams that have won state championships just based upon the numbers. So it sounds like to me your top one is points per position assist the turnover ratio you you say those if you had to evaluate is that what you look at first yeah it's become a an easy way for the kids or i should say for the players and coaches to have common ground uh to be able to talk about uh you know for them they start i think they look at it a little bit more of oh hey we're shooting well <laughs> right. you know, for me as a coach i look at it a little bit more hey our turnovers are down <laughs> you know if our points for our goal this year was 1.1 1 .1, um we were i think 1.02 or something so we didn't get quite there but we definitely want right. to be on the positive side of one is what we're looking at um for sure and so Again, I think it's just that common ground um, that players and coaches can talk about, at least for us, we have found. I, you know, of course, you go back to, to um, you know, offensive rebounding percentages, um, shooting percentages, of course, free throw, things like that. But um, their points per possession has, has been a good one for us. Yeah, that is a great one. And, and here it is. Do you feel like – I always look at what are we doing? We had – four to five games up against really tough teams this year that that's how I evaluate my stats, not against the teams that were better than, is that, is that a good perspective? Oh, well, definitely. Um, you know, I think as a coach, you've got to, to separate out some of your stats. Um, of course, that's what averages are all about. Um, right. But yeah, you've got some games that are, of course are against a, you know, a competition that's a little bit easier. Some that's against uh, tougher you want to, uh, I think, look at the ones that are predominantly against teams that you're going to face, especially at the end of the year. Yeah, that's a great point. Coach, I time out. Um, and again, I, I'm hoping you can connect with all your players. And um, I, I know how hard it was. Uh, you're in, you know, trying for that championship and they had to postpone. I'm sure, is it canceled or you guys think you might come back and play it? No, it, it's canceled. Oh, uh, man. You know, every uh, all the final four teams were uh, deemed state finalists. We'll all get uh, a trophy. Uh, cool, but cool. There won't be a, they won't determine a, a winner this year. Right, right. Well, hey, <clears throat> you know you had a winning program. I guess one of those things you can kind of go away with saying you guys, you guys definitely had your own championship almost. Um, but you have a great program going on. I appreciate you sharing. And I want to have you give me one – Last piece of advice for a coach who's going to be starting a new job. What would you offer that coach? What, what piece of advice would you offer him or her? 
I would probably go back to what I, I said earlier and you've got to feel comfortable in your own skin and it's definitely good to steal things from, from other people, but you've got to make sure that it morphs uh, and fits your team and fits you. Um, because if you aren't comfortable teaching it, uh, it's probably not going to be received <laughs> the way you want by your players um, because you've got to be comfortable um, teaching it. So just uh, be comfortable uh, being yourself uh, be comfortable with what you're doing. Great advice, Coach. Coach, thanks. Listeners get a hold of you because a lot of the content, you probably get some emails and so forth. So, um, how? Yeah, um, probably the best way is, is by email. Uh, and I can give that to you now. Um, it's just Jill Nagel, uh, the number one at Gmail. Uh, and that's probably uh, the best way to get a hold of me. Okay. And you are on social media. Is that correct? They want to take a look at that as well. Yep. That's another way. Um, at coach Jill Nagel, uh, on Twitter, um, that would be a good way to get it in touch as well. That'd be great. Coach. I wish you the best. Stay healthy. You and your. Thanks. Kevin. Keep it was great talking to you. I really appreciate you reaching out. Hey, coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast.